1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, says, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Samuel hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they had met him. They said, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had his seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? He says, They are still the youngest. Jesse answered, He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. He will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and brought him in. He was going with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said to him, Rise and anoint. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. That montage that we just watched, some of you clapped. I hear some of you saying, yes. And the reason why that is, is because I believe that each and every one of us has a heroic calling and purpose that God has hardwired us for. You and I are created for a special purpose, and I believe that purpose is to extend the kingdom of God in our generation. There are moments that stand out in my life where I recognize and realize that God has placed me in a crossroads moment where something awesome could happen. And I want to tell you a story about that. It was about... 19-something or other, back in the day, and I was a student ministries pastor at a small church in the Bay Area. You see, I'm from California originally. I'm from the West Coast. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. West Coast is the best coast. You heard? But a mentor of mine was a traveling evangelist that had a huge heart for reaching people for Christ. He and I had gone, come into a discipleship mentoring connection, and he was doing a training uh, in Sacramento, where I'm actually from, but I was living in the Bay Area, which is not far from San Francisco. And so the training was at this nightclub. I mean, it was at a hotel, and at the hotel at the bottom floor, there was a nightclub. The training for evangelism was happening on floor number three. I remember walking into the hotel, the Red Lion, and 
I remember walking by this nightclub thinking, isn't it ironic that here we are at an evangelistic training that's happening on floor number three and people on floor number one are getting their groove on. And I'm sure there's some of them that don't know Jesus. So I was sitting in the seminar, the conference, but I could not get my eyes and my heart or my heart off those who were getting their groove on on floor number one. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a crazy idea pop in your head that you would say, God, if you don't do something, I'm going to look like an idiot. I had one of those. All of a sudden, I had this idea, this thought that popped inside of my brain that said, you need to go downstairs and talk to these people about Jesus. So there was a guy standing next to me or sitting next to me. His name was Frank. And I said, man, Frank, I got this crazy idea. There's a nightclub on floor number one. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. He was like, what? Yes. So I went downstairs and I paid my money. I got my wristband. I came into place. Now, I can't say I had a lot of experience being in a club at that particular point. So I just went in, and I went in with a heart of adventure, thinking, okay, God, what, what are we going to do today? And I was anxious, and I was ready for something to happen. So I, I saw this dude in the back after I passed by the super-duper buff bouncer and kind of nodded at him. I sat down. Somebody came up and asked me, I wanted something to drink. I said, man, I'm water, I'm, water, I'm good. So there was a dude in the back, and I walked over, and I said, what's up, man? How you doing? He was like, all right, what up? And we'll call him Tony. So I said, what's up to Tony? I sat down. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to reach someone for Christ, and you're trying to find a window to bring Jesus in, and it's clumsy. So I just said, hey, man, I want to talk to you about God. I want to talk to you about Jesus, man. Just bust it in. As we were talking about music, as the band was playing, and he told me I couldn't talk about Jesus because there was bad spirits in there. And then he began to tell me about his whole faith paradigm and framework, and it was confusing. And I was getting all turned around, and the best way I can describe it was, have you ever seen a Lion King where it talks about the circle of life? It was kind of a circle of life kind of a thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? I almost expected him to break out Mufasa style and say, I'll tell you what my father told me. (laughs) But he didn't. And so... I said, man, can I just pray for you? And it just went bad. I walked back up to floor number three, and I sat down, and I was kind of embarrassed. I was kind of bruised in my spirit. And I said, man, I was trying to do something amazing for God, and it did not turn out. But then I had a crazier, even a crazier idea. And I turned to my boy, Frank, and I said, Frank, I had this crazy idea, man. I went down Circle of Life, Mufasa, and everything else. I'll tell you, my father told me, all that. But my idea was that I would go up and grab the microphone on the stage, the platform, and begin to tell people about Jesus. He was like, what? I'm like, yeah, man. So I was thinking, I was listening to my boy talk in the front, but I couldn't get my mind and my heart off the people and on floor number one getting their groove on. 
So I jumped up and I walked out the place. I got on the elevator and I prayed a prayer and I said, God, if it is you for me to talk to these people about you, you'll have the band stop. And I'll take that as a sign that you have delivered them into my hands. For those of you that are Bible scholars know that Jonathan prayed a prayer like that. He said, if the Philistines call us up, I believe that you've delivered them into on my hand. So I was praying out on the elevator. I got in the place. The place was more packed now. Okay? So I came and there was really no seats. So I just went in. I was kind of bobbing my head. I was kind of feeling at that point. I'm on the, I'm, I'm on the back wall kind of vibing a little bit. I'm vibing, yo. Word out. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm vibing, okay? I'm, I'm feeling this situation. All of a sudden, the lady gets on the microphone and she says, um, Hello, everyone. I just want to thank you for um, just being such an amazing crowd tonight. Um, we're going to take um, a 15-minute intermission, and um, um, I thank you very much. Now your boy's not vibing anymore. At that point, I'm not bobbing my head anymore. Now I'm terrified. See, have you ever prayed a prayer that's a huge prayer, a big prayer, an extraordinary prayer, a heroic prayer, but you don't expect God to actually answer it? You want to pray the prayer and get credit for actually doing it. Because the Bible says that there were those that were faithful, and though it didn't happen, it was credit to them for righteousness, though it didn't occur. So I wanted credit for speaking to the people about Jesus at the club, though I never really did it. I'm on the wall. My heart is beating out of my chest. Oh, what am I going to do? If I get up there, somebody might yell at me. If I get up there, somebody may throw a bottle at me. If I get up there, that big buff bouncer dude may tackle me. I need to walk away because I'm scared. But if I walk away and I don't step, I'll always wonder what would have happened if I did. So what I did was, with my heart beating out of my chest, shaking and nervous, I went up to the front. I grabbed the microphone and I said, excuse me, I have a message from the Lord for you. Now, I don't know about you and if you've been in the club, but people don't normally jump up and say that in the club. Folks are like, I have a message from the Lord for you, and the message is this. No matter where you've come or where you've been, what's happening in your life, he sent me to tell you that he loves you, he cares about you, and he's reaching out to you. And I want to let you know that he's here. 
Now, there are times as a student ministries pastor, there are times as a parent, there's times as a pastor where you get in front of a group where it's quiet. And the quiet means their minds are somewhere else. But there's other times where there's a quiet tension where you realize that something transformative is happening in the atmosphere. It was that second type of quiet. I prayed and I could feel the Holy Spirit in that nightclub. After I prayed for people to receive the love of God and to say yes to Jesus again, maybe for the first time, or they're coming back to God. I said, amen. I turned to my right big bouncer dude, came walking up. And everybody stood on their feet and started clapping. I walked out of the club and tears were coming from my eyes for two reasons. One, because the love of God was expressed in that moment. But secondly, I almost missed it. There are heroic callings in this room. But they'll only come to life for those that are courageous and brave. See, some of you are struggling because you're looking at your life through the lens or comparing yourself to somebody else. But God did not make you somebody else. He made you you. And the world needs you the way that he made you. I told you that I'm in um, film. There's a screenwriting teacher by the name of Michael Haig that talks about the, the framework of the hero. He says there's four levels. There's a wound. There's fear. There's identity. And there's essence. Wound comes from a broken moment. Bruce Wayne had his parents killed and he was abandoned. He was by himself. As a result of that wound, a fear was attached, a fear of the dark. Next, there was an identity. The identity is a false mask that he wore to be a billionaire, but that really isn't who he was. Underneath it all was his essence, a person that wanted to fight for justice. I'm convinced that many of us are wrestling with our heroic purpose and calling because we have not allowed the Lord to draw us out into the fullness of the essence that he's created us for. We just read about a guy named David. Now, we love David, David and Goliath. We love David, David the king. But do you realize that the prophet had come to David's house and his family and father knew that he came to anoint one of his sons as the next king, and they had a party, and they had food, and everybody was looking good and smelling right, had been to the barbershop, had been to the salon, had gone to the tailor, got their smoothest suits on and ties just right, but he was not invited to the party, and he was out in the wilderness while everybody else was listening to music and having a conversation. How would you feel if your father did not invite you to the party where something extraordinary was about to begin? Can you imagine how hurt you would be? Can you imagine how disappointed you'd be? How heartbroken you would be? 
I believe that there are people in this place that have a heroic calling from God but are resting because of the wounds, resting because of fear or other negativity is attached to the brokenness that happened or trauma that happened to you. And as a result of that, you're putting on a mask that really ain't you, really isn't you. But underneath it all, you are struggling to be the person that God has called you to be and walk in the fullness of your essence because of all those things. But what you have to remember, hero, is that God has got you. See, though daddy didn't have him, family didn't have him, brothers didn't say, hey, you know what, why in the world isn't David a part of the party? God knew where David was located. So though he was out in the field with the sheep, God says, I've chosen none of them. And Samuel said, is there anybody else? And David comes in. David comes in after being in that situation, being in the wilderness, connected to the family, but not really connected to the family, stuck in the middle of a difficult situation. Have you ever felt stuck in the middle? There's a song back in the day by Michael Jackson that talked about um, it's, the, it's too high to get over but too low to get under. I'm stuck in the middle. David was stuck in the middle, but God called him out of the, the middle and brought him in the fullness of his miracle. And he says, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one. I want to let you know that you and I live in some crazy days. We live in times of turmoil. We live in times of uh, uh, unrest all over the world. The scriptures predict some of these things. The question is, in the drama and trauma and crazy and chaos, will the heroes rise up? Will the heroes rise up and say, you know what, I'm going to pursue the calling that God has created me for with all of my passion, with all of my bravery, with all of my focus, with all of my energy. Very seldom do people give their all to anything. They always leave a little bit of energy in the tank. Why? Because they want to look good. They want to be cool. I don't want to put all out. But what would life look like? What would a generation of a world-changing college students look like if they called on God with all of their passion, if they invested and served in the arenas that God has created them for with all the energy and might that they had? I'm reminded of the words of William Wallace in Braveheart. He says, many men die, but few fully live. He spoke in front of a bunch of scared soldiers that said, if I retreat, I might be safe. And he says, perhaps you will. But would you trade all of your safety to live a dangerous life? Will you trade all the days from this day to that for one chance to be free? What would life look like if you were free to be the person that God had created you to be? For many years, I, I thought, 
man, I'm not like this person. I remember being in seminary, and I went to uh, our sermonizing class, and, and my, my, uh, my professor said, what in the world about the movies and the comic books and all this weird stuff and the Bible? Ah! The thing that people mock about you for being different is the distinctiveness that God has placed on your life to be his signature to make you stand out. You're trying to erase the thing that God says that is a special thing. Here's a book, the movie that came out years ago by the name of Hook that stars the, the late Robin Williams. And the story is about Peter Pan who lives in the regular world, and as a result of living in the regular world, he ages and he forgets. So through uh, a series of circumstances, he finds himself back in Neverland, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and one of the lost boys comes up and grabs his face and starts to twist it. And all of a sudden, he smiles. There you are, Peter. Underneath all the drama and trauma, the pain, the regret, the experiences, the lies, the mass, the wounds, underneath all of that, God is saying, there you are. There's the hero that I created you to be. Do you have courage Will you walk in bravery to be that person? Every hero has a cause, a mission. Every hero has a superpower. Every hero has a villain that will oppose their work. Every villain has a weakness or a kryptonite that will bring them back to earth. Every hero needs a team, a collection of community that helps them, Avengers or X-Men style, to be, to stay, to be encouraged. Every hero ultimately will have their story told by others. Paul, stories told by us, David, Esther, Peter, John the Baptist, Gideon, Barak, et cetera, et cetera. Someone's going to tell your story. Someone's going to tell my story. The question is, what story will they tell? I want to... Um, begin to close with something that happened to me and my oldest daughter. My, my oldest daughter um, is a sophomore at George Washington University. Uh, she wants to be a journalist and a writer, and she's a pretty amazing kid. Um, she's cool. Her father's pretty awesome. Oh, did I say that? Uh, I'm sorry. But back in the day, when she was a little, little girl, she's an extraordinary dancer, and she leads a dance troupe there. But her gift to dance, we just really tried to invest in it. 
and, um, and sew into it. And so we put her in dance and, and her sisters as well. But one day we, we were coming home and uh, went into the garage and it, dance was over and she needed to get in, take a, a bath and go to bed, school night. And she didn't get out the car. And I said, babe, we got to get in the house. And she didn't get out. And I looked at her, and I could see that she was getting emotional. She was about to cry. Now, I'm a father with all daughters, so crying is not unusual. That's not cause for alarm because people cry often in my house. But then I realized something else was going on. She's probably about 10 or so at this particular point. And I said, baby, what's wrong? She said, Daddy, there's kids at school that are talking about me. They say I'm ugly. They say my lips are too big. My eyes are this, that, and the other. My hair. She just began to go on that I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm this. Now, my first inclination, I'm going to be honest with you, this is a holy place, was not prayer, was not the scriptures, was what are the name of these boys? What are their names? Because I'm coming to the schoolhouse myself. See, the reason why I work out as a father and try to stay in shape is to intimidate some folks. You see what I'm saying? That's why I'm on the bench press. But as I look into her eyes and I saw her tears, I began to cry. Because when you love somebody and your heart is attached to them, their struggle is your struggle. I said, baby, you got this all wrong. I said, the problem is, the reason why you feel bad about yourself is because you're seeing yourself through their eyes. I said, but you got to change it up. You got to change it up, baby girl. You got to see yourself through daddy's eyes. Let me tell you what daddy sees. What daddy sees is awesome. What daddy sees is talented. What, what daddy sees is agile. What, what daddy sees is insightful. What daddy sees is anointed and strong and powerful. Daddy sees destiny. Daddy sees future. And what daddy sees is beautiful. Don't look through their eyes. Look through your daddy's eyes. Some of you have the same issue that my daughter, Diara, had. And I would go so far to say maybe still wrestles with it. Because we all do. We see ourselves through the lenses of others. We don't see ourselves through the lenses of God. We see ourselves through the lenses of limitation. We don't see ourselves through the lenses of vision. If you continue to read the story of David, you realize that though there was limitation on the outside of him, there was bigness and largeness and bravery on the inside of him. And when the giant came against him and said, this is who you're going to be, he said, listen, hold up, man. 
Let me tell you exactly how this is going to go. Nobody named David is getting beat down today. But what I tell you, somebody named Goliath is going to get his head taken off by me, and I'm going to use your own sword to do it. So now what? I'm not retreating. I'm not running except at you. You are a hero. You are ordained by God. You have been fashioned and created to do extraordinary things. It's going to look different than that person's or that person's or that person's or that person. But God has chosen you and 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 you. All of you. He's chosen you. Yeah, something like that. But better than a car. She was kind of doing Oprah, you know, you and you and you. <laughs> Everybody stand your feet. Quickly, 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 quickly. But I need you to be quiet. Don't start talking. We got, we got about a minute left. I need you to repeat after me. I am a hero. I'm a hero. Because the hero lives in me. I am a hero. Because the hero lives in me. Come on, I am a hero because the hero lives in me. I am a hero because the hero lives in me. Put your hands up like this. God, I pray for these. I pray for courage. I pray for anointing. I pray for power. I pray for vision. I pray for your grace and that they would see themselves through your eyes and not through any others. Amen.